Welcome to the Jazz Notes Podcast. I'm Ben Anderson. I'm Chandler Holt. Uh, the Utah Jazz had a big week behind them, ups and downs, and another big week coming up ahead as they uh, take off on their six-game road trip. It is January 23rd when we're recording this, as we always do on a Tuesday. You can find me on Twitter at Ben's Hoops. Find Chandler at Chandler Holt KSL. Follow us at KSL Sports and download this podcast wherever you get your downloads. You can subscribe. You can leave us a review. Five stars, four stars, no one stars. We're trying better than that. But, hey, whatever you want to do, we appreciate everybody who listens. Uh, kind of a little bit of a light week. I guess the Jazz have had a couple of days off, so it hasn't been the heaviest week that we have seen. In fact, just two games, technically, yep. uh, and both losses. Yeah, well, it was going to be a three-game week, but the game against the Golden State Warriors got postponed. But both games that the Jazz did play against OKC and Houston were both close losses. Uh, first, OKC lost by 5, 134-129. to 129. SGA had 31. Sexton also had 31. The Jazz actually shot pretty good um, in that game. They shot 48% from the floor, 40.6% from three. But they got down big in the first half. They were trailing by as much as uh, 19 by the end of the third quarter, they made it a one-point game, but then uh, the Thunder shot 63% in the fourth quarter, and they were able to pull away and secure the win there. And then to Houston, it was the Alperin Sengun show. No one could guard him. He had 37 points, like 18 rebounds or something yep. like that. Um, Clarkson again had another great game. Uh, or Sorry, Sexton had another great game, 28 points. Clarkson added 33. Jazz shot 45%, only 30% from three. Um, big storyline there. Houston had 23 offensive rebounds, and the Jazz had 17 turnovers, so they just got a lot more shots up. Two very tough games. Oklahoma City's really good. Uh, and then Houston at home is really good. They're like 15 or 16 and 6 at home now. They're one of the better teams in the NBA and, and a great defensive team at home. Not very good overall, but great at home. So the Jazz defense, or excuse me, the Jazz offense struggling in the first half in Houston was not all that surprising. And I really think OKC just played unbelievably well uh, in their in their performance here. They, they were great in the first half and built that 19-point first quarter lead. And the Jazz chipped away and chipped away and chipped away. And I think ultimately what we saw happen was the Jazz put in so much work just to climb back into these games that once they got there, they kind of didn't have any energy left to close. Two winnable opportunities. Really probably should have beat Houston. I think they gave the Houston game away. I understand the loss to OKC. So not not an A-plus uh, performance from the Utah Jazz over the last week. Uh, speaking of that, we will grade the Utah Jazz uh, over the last couple of games, the veterans, the young players, the standings, the fun factor, as we always do. We will look at the week ahead, which is what we're going to do coming up next. Talk about some of the big big news in the NBA. There's actually quite a few stories in the league uh, this week that I think are interesting and do pertain to the Utah Jazz. And then we will answer your mailbag questions. So appreciate everybody who tunes in. Jazz go 0-2. Let's look at this uh this week coming up for the Utah Jazz in New Orleans tonight, in Washington on Thursday, in Charlotte on Saturday, and then in Brooklyn on Monday. So a very heavy workload after uh, only two games over the last week. Yeah, very heavy workload, like you said, and all road games. So it's not going to be easy. But if you look at some of these teams, very winnable as well. Like Washington is one of the worst teams in the East. Same thing with Charlotte. Even though they spoiled Carl Anthony Towns' 62-point game last night, he had 44 at half. Always dangerous, yeah. Charlotte, but... You Jazz are better than Charlotte. Yeah, and then the other two teams, New Orleans and Brooklyn, are two teams that the Jazz have beat this year. Brooklyn already. is really falling apart. They've yes. been pretty dreadful over the last couple of weeks after their solid start. They were about 500 and have, have collapsed. New Orleans had that incredible run, very much like the Jazz, uh, at the beginning of December through mid-January, and then have since won just two of their last three, lost to the Suns in their last game, but haven't played since Friday. So they are very well rested. The Jazz played Saturday. Uh, so that will that will probably be a factor tonight. And then, of course, we'll see if Chris Dunn ends up playing or not because that's a big deal. Uh, I think the Jazz should go 3-1. and one. 
I think I think three and one is very reasonable. I think two and two should be the worst case scenario, yep. but you never know when you're coming off two straight road losses. Again, more likely that they go four and zero than zero and four, and more likely they go three and one than one and three. Yep. But yeah, maybe you just split the difference and you say, yeah, well, you lose in New Orleans, who's a you know the fifth seed in the West. You lose in New Orleans, that's not a crazy loss. You have lost there once already this year, though the game was pretty close even when the Jazz weren't playing spectacularly well. It was kind of the beginning of this run when they started to play better basketball. And then, yeah, you hope for to avoid a major upset in Washington or Charlotte or uh, Brooklyn, which you, you should you should be expected to win Brooklyn. Uh, by the way, then, yeah, Tuesday night, I know we'll be recording it, second night of a back-to-back, last game of the road trip in New York. That's going to be a tough game. So you want to take care of business and, and get a 500 road trip here over these six games or better, and uh, this is the week to do it with those winnable games. So good opportunity for the Jazz to uh, to get some victories coming up, including tonight in New Orleans, which would be a, a very nice win and right the wrongs of the last two weeks, or excuse me, the last two games over the last week. Uh, and then a little bit of news that just got added was that uh, TNT is moving the Jazz game on February 1st, their first game back, which is next Thursday, to uh they're moving it on to TNT, so it's actually been an 8 p.m. game versus on K-Jazz and on Jazz Plus at 7 o'clock. Yeah, every nationally uh, broadcasted game should be appreciated by Jazz fans. I want to take a step back really quick. I went back and I looked at the Jazz season because it felt like, specifically in losses at least, it's sort of a storyline for the Jazz this year that they go down big and then they claw back, and whether they fall short or barely win. Um, it just seems like they're clawing from behind a lot of times. In 16 games this year, the Jazz trailed by double digits in the first quarter, and they're 2-14 and 14 in those games. Yep. The two wins are against Detroit and San Antonio. Okay. Um, so, not a good recipe if you're going down that much in the first quarter, and it just seems like it happens more than it should. And that opens up a bigger conversation, I think, with what happened, especially in the last game, was that Walker Kessler started the second half in place of John Collins, and is that something that Will Hardy sticks with going forward? That's what I'm going to be watching tonight. Uh, John Collins has had okay numbers. He, he didn't have very good numbers in the last game uh, against Houston, but he had really good numbers against OKC, but his plus-minus was the worst on the team because they got torched the moments he was on the floor. And I don't think that's just John Collins' problem, but it does tell you, I think, how good Walker Kessler has been and can be, even though he also got chewed up by Alper and Shangoon. Uh, but I will wonder if, if, if Hardy decides, hey, these slow starts are so difficult to come back from, it's better to just start well and you're playing better right now with uh, with Walker Kessler on the uh, in the starting lineup. But then the other thing that happened was in the second half against Houston, you did not see Keontae George. Mm-hmm. He did not play at all. Chris Dunn got all those minutes. Now, if, if Chris Dunn's out tonight with this this illness that he's listed as questionable, you know that might force Keontae George into the lineup more. But you may see now we're at this midpoint of the season where I think a lot of people thought this is when the rookies would start to take over because the Jazz would be out of the playoff race. Maybe you actually do the opposite and you dial it back a little bit and you go a little more... Jordan Clarkson, Colin Sexton, Chris Dunn heavy, and that's kind of your true three-guard rotation because all of those guys are capable of playing both backcourt spots, on the ball, off the ball, primary ball handler who sets up the offense or can provide a scoring punch in the at the two-guard. So I'll be watching that as well tonight and uh, what the Jazz decide to do with that going forward. I, I think Will Hardy's probably going to be a little bit more judicious in does Keontae have it going tonight, and if he does, he plays, and if he doesn't have it going tonight, he's down around the 12 or 13 minutes as opposed to automatically getting 22 minutes every night. 
Uh, speaking of the playoff picture, uh, an 0-2 week resulted in the Jazz falling back to the 10 seed, eight and a half games back from the first seed, and they're only two games away from falling back to 12th, 10 and a half, where the Golden State Warriors are right now. They got overtaken by the Lakers. I guess the Lakers have the tiebreaker there. Yep, they're 1-0. Um, I remember last week we were talking about how they were closer to the 6th seed than the 12th seed, not anywhere near the case now. They're three and a half games from the 6th seeded Pelicans. Now, the, this is a chance to make that up. You yes. can cut that to two and a half. The problem was you lost to a team in Houston who was behind you and made up a full game. Yes. Uh, and then also you've seen, I think Dallas has won some games. Phoenix has won six straight now, I think, after their victory last night. Yep. Hasn't been easy. They've had to erase a bunch of big leads late. They did uh, with Chicago yesterday as well. But, yeah, the Jazz are losing ground suddenly, so some of these victories become important. So if you do have a bad week in these next you know, four that we've talked about, you could suddenly find yourself on the outside of the playoff picture looking in. And I think we can talk about this more in the mailbag. It's why... Even though the Jazz had that great month where they went 15-4, and four, I bet you Danny Ainge and Justin Zanuck just never got all that romantic about the team before the trade deadline and are still looking big picture versus, hey, we had a great month. Does that all of a sudden mean you're a championship contender? It never has. It probably never will. Uh, and I'm sure that they still are taking a big picture approach to it. So let's take a quick break. We'll talk about some uh, NBA news, a couple of trades. We'll give our Jazz grades quickly and then get to the mailbag. It's the Jazz Notes podcast. Welcome back to the Jazz Notes podcast. Ben Anderson, Chandler Holt. Uh, all right, Chandler, we are, uh, what, two and a half weeks away from the NBA trade deadline, and we've already had a couple of big names moved. In fact, there's a chance those are the two biggest names that do get moved. Yes. We had Pascal Siakam earlier this week get traded from uh, Toronto to Indiana, and then we uh, also got to see Terry Rozier this morning, recording this on Tuesday again, traded by the Charlotte Hornets to the Miami Heat. And actually, like, I like both of these moves. I yeah. kind of like them for everybody involved, I guess. It's not a great return for Charlotte. They got Kyle Lowry in a 2027 first-round pick that is lottery-protected, and after that it drops to completely unprotected, which is pretty quick to get a, an unprotected pick for a guy like Terry Rozier, who's highly productive, has never done it on a winning team other than a couple little years in Boston, but they were happy to move off of him. So, uh, yeah, I'm curious about uh, some of these moves. I, I do think they reflect the Jazz. Pascal yeah. Siakam uh, is a... Big-time talent, borderline All-NBA, has made All-NBA before, All-Star, big four, or small four, I guess, uh, somewhat like Lowry Markinen. And then I think there's a lot of comparisons between Terry Rozier and Colin Sexton. I think those are really similar players as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see how Terry Rozier fits in with the Heat culture. You know, he, yep. he has been on a lot of subpar teams, granted. Maybe some of his best years came when he was a sixth man in Boston, right? And they had a, he found some playoff success there. But there's been quotes that go around from people in the Heat organization that like, oh, only 10% of the NBA could actually fit in with the Heat culture. So I think that that'll just be interesting. I, he's been on Charlotte for the past few years, and uh -huh. that's more of a fun team than a serious team like the Heat are. Right. Um, but I think it could be a good fit because the Heat definitely need guard play, and he's a very clear upgrade over old Kyle Lowry. And then let's talk about the Pascal Siakam trade real quick. The Toronto Raptors got Bruce Brown, Jordan Nwora, and three first-round picks. Mm -hmm. So basically just three first-round picks for Pascal Siakam because they're already looking to move on from Bruce Brown. And if you can get you know maybe another first or a young player for him, that's not a bad return. Yes. Two of the firsts are this year, including one might be the Jazz's pick. Uh, it's the worst of this, you know, Jazz Clippers or some OKC. Okay, there's some crazy yeah. protections on it. Uh so the Jazz could potentially be involved, but the, the pick is already gone from the Jazz. I, I will say this. It's not enough to get Lowry Markin out of Utah. Yeah. That trade package is not good enough to lure 
Lowry Markin and Outer of the Jazz to make that trade. They would need a lot more than that. And I like Bruce Brown. In fact, I think Bruce Brown would make a lot of sense for Miami if Miami continues to hunt because they could use another really good defender in the backcourt because that's not Terry Rozier's strength and it's not Tyler Hero's strength. But they could use another guy who would fit, quote-unquote, heat culture and can play a bunch of positions, and he can. Yeah. So I'd be curious what Bruce Brown does, and obviously he doesn't fit in Toronto. That He doesn't do what they're trying to do right now. But that uh, that trade package is not good enough to get a guy like Lowry Markin. So that sets the market a little bit. It's got to be well above that. And then I would say the same thing for Terry Rozier. I don't think an expiring old guy and a future first is enough to get certainly Colin Sexton at this point. And it's probably not enough to get Jordan Clarkson. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. But I don't know. Would Do the Jazz just take another kind of weird protected first-round pick for J.C. at this point when he's— continuing to show you that he can kind of help you win games. I, I, I don't know. I don't think that's enough. I think the Jazz would want a little bit more. Here's a quote from Tyler Hero on the trade. I think it's time for an energy boost around here for sure. Terry's a great player, and we appreciate Kyle and everything he's done for us. Terry, is a, he's, he's got some mojo. Yeah. He's got a little <laughs> wild personality. You called, uh, you called Colin Sexton, I think, Tasmanian Devil yep. last week, and I, he's got that same thing. He's yep. just he's all energy. He's a crazy ball of energy, and if you get him pointed in the right direction and you can keep that consistent— He's really good, uh, and as long as he knows at the end of games, I've got to default to Jimmy. It can't be Terry time. I'm not scary Terry at the end of games. We've got Jimmy Butler. That's beneficial, and actually I think there were some Jazz fans who complained about Colin Sexton dialing up his own number a lot in Houston when they were ignoring Lowry Markinen. and and that's something you can't do in Miami, and it's probably something you can't do in Salt Lake either when you've got, when you've got Lowry and how good he is late in games. So anyways, two interesting trades that uh, have a little bit of impact on the market for what could be out there for the Utah Jazz if they wanted to shop some of the bigger names on their roster. All right, let's get to our Jazz grades. We do this every week. We go over the last couple of games, what they've done over the last week, and uh, grade the players accordingly. Uh, Last two games, we always start with the veterans. What do we think? There were some good veteran performances. Like, when you look at the top scores for these games, it's all veterans, right? Sexton, 31. Markin, 26. uh, Clarkson, 33. But it didn't lead to wins at the end of the day. And outside of, like, the top three or four veterans, the other people didn't do a lot. I would say B minus B. Yeah, I think that's fine. I mean, Jordan and Colin combined for over 60 points against uh, Houston, but missed some reads late in the game. Uh, Lowry was absolutely nowhere to be seen in the fourth quarter in overtime, which you can credit Houston, or you can credit the Jazz guards not looking for him, or you can credit Lowry for not just going and getting the ball. Like I think there's a lot of fault to go around there. Uh, so I think that de- definitely subtracts a little bit. So, yeah, in Colin Sexton had his first two 30-point games ever with the Jazz, and he had them back-to-back and almost had a third one in Houston. So that that might raise their grade. But you go winless. You're a veteran. You kind of didn't do your job regardless if you put up good points. So, yeah, B-. minus. I think that's a good number. Uh, young players, lower grade. Yeah, Young players were not that good. Walker Kessler was fine. I actually thought Walker had some pretty crucial mistakes against mm-hmm. Houston that cost him the job. Now, he was better than John Collins, but he had a bad moving screen. Missed some free throws. Let Alperin Shingun could repeatedly get in the paint. It's like you got to pick him up a little earlier. Yep. You got to push him out. Like he wants to be under the rim, and once he gets you under the rim, you have lost. He's too good. And Walker just didn't do his homework early. Just like didn't didn't keep him out of the paint. So and then uh, truly, Keontae George has been bad. Yeah, he's been bad over the last couple weeks. So uh, C minus. Yeah, C C minus. I, yeah. I agree with that. So uh, yeah, not a great not a great week for uh, for the Jazz young players by any means. Uh, next up, the standings. Uh, the Jazz fell a bit in the standings. 0-2 week. They're back at 500 after finally getting above 500. Um, I mean, they're still in the playoff picture. We were giving them Fs when they weren't in the playoff picture. So 
I'll give him credit for the quality of opponent, and yes. that both these games were close. You had a chance to win both of them, truthfully, had Jalen Williams not come out scorching hot in the fourth quarter, or you didn't allow yourself to fall behind by 19. I mean, that is on you. Yeah. Uh, but they did have chances to win both of these games, and these were tough games. I don't think the Jazz level of play significantly dipped these True. last two games from where they were, but you didn't get wins. I'd say C. Yeah, C, C+. Plus. I agree with that. Um, and then last up, fun factor. It's, even though it was two straight losses, I would say they were they were they were entertaining games. Overtime game is fun. Yes. Uh, and then yeah, the battle back against OKC. So I'd say maybe a B minus. Yeah, B B minus. I like that as well. Okay, that's the Jazz grades. Let's get into the mailbag. As always, you can find me at Ben's Hoops. As I mentioned, find Chandler Chandler Holt KSL every Tuesday. I will send out a prompt usually around eleven eleven thirty, uh, asking you for your Jazz questions. You can follow me. Reply right on Twitter, uh, and we will get them answered for you. Uh, and this is. I will say the part of the podcast I like the most because I like interacting with the, the listeners and people who have jazz questions. Where do you want to start? First up, we got a question from Dallin Graff. Uh, will Keontae George be an all-rookie first-team selection at the end of the season? I don't think so. And I thought he was a lock to get there over the first couple of months, but it's a long season. I don't think he ends up getting first-team, but he's almost a lock for second-team. Uh, and I guess it depends on which guards you're going to end up going with. We know Chet's going to make it. We know Victor's going to make it. We know Jaime Hawkes is going to make it. Yes. And I think Brandon Pajemski probably takes – if they say Hawkes and Brandon Pajemski are the backcourt, that's going to push Keontae George out. And honestly, deservedly so, those two have been better than Keontae this year. That's something I was going to ask. They uh, they took away positions for all NBA. Does that not extend to the defensive and rookie teams? It, it may. It, it, it may still extend. Honestly, I don't uh-huh. know. If it extends to the all-rookie teams, you could squeeze Keontae in there. Yeah. But I also would say he's probably not been the fifth-best rookie at this point True. either. Let's go back and look at the NBA Rookie Ladder. They do this every week, and I'll just give you what they have through January 16th, so they'll be releasing a new one today. They just haven't done it yet. Victor 1, Chet Holmgren 2, Jaime Hawkins uh, 3, Brandon Miller, who, yeah, and and absolutely was great. He was one of the reasons, really, they upset Cat's uh, 62-point performance. Uh, Derek Lively in Dallas has been much more surprising than I think a lot of people thought. And then you get into Pajemski, Keontae George, Jordan Hawkins, who we'll see tonight from the Pelicans. Scoot is starting to come on strong. Yes. Uh, And then that's to totally ignore the Thompson twins. Yeah. You know, and Asar has been really good in Detroit. So I think think Keontae is a second team uh, rookie member. I don't think he's going to make the first team. But yeah, he'll make the second team. But but first team is probably out of the picture. But you know what? You got him at 16. Like, yeah. you get an all-rookie player at 16, and he's a one-and-done guy. Like, look, Pajemski didn't play a long time, but had played more. Jaime Hawkins played, I think, all four years, right, at UCLA. Like, these guys were in college a long time. Some of these guys even had, the, like, the weird COVID year. Yes. So you get a guy as young and as raw as uh, as Keontae George. I actually think it means a little bit more to get him on, like, an all-rookie second team versus these guys who are a little more ready for the NBA when they step on the floor. Uh, next up, from Jay Catch, uh, what is the likelihood the Jazz make a move ahead of the trade deadline to actually bolster the roster for a playoff or play-in run versus jettisoning pieces to add assets to their war chest? Maybe I'm just swaying too much because they've lost two games in a row, but I think it's still a little bit more likely they sell than buy. Mm-hmm. I still think it's a little bit more likely that they, you know, and maybe they get a young player, and we can talk about this more, like with the Knicks trade potentially, that could help them. But at face value, it would look like a step back because the Jazz would be getting a young player and a draft asset, which usually means you're taking a step back talent-wise. So I I still think that's probably more likely because I think that's easier to pull off with the players the Jazz have at the moment. Definitely. I would agree with that. Uh, Next up from Jazz Time Jones, um, are we sure Ochai is a piece to keep? No. We're not sure. Yes. Yeah. It's simply put, like, of the young players right now on the Jazz roster, Walker Kessler seems like a keeper. Good 
good mindset. Actually, one of the nice things about Walker is he's not going to be a max player. Like, you got to be careful about stacking max players because all of a sudden you have guys who are like, are they a max player because they're young and they're good, or are they a max player because they're actually deserving of a max player? And a lot of teams get into that trap of, well, you got to pay your best guy or you got to pay your best young guy. I don't think Walker's ever going to demand the max. Mm-mm. So if you get a guy who makes $15 million a year and is a starter, good, that frees up a max contract for a guy who's actually deserving of it. So you got to be careful with some of those. And I think Walker is kind of this like, oh, he's good, but he's not that good. That really helps teams. It's why you can win titles with like a Mark Gasol. It's why you can win titles, and they haven't done it yet, but like Jonas Valanciunas is a championship level center because you don't have to max him out but he's good enough to win and I think we've seen that JaVale McGee was doing it with the Warriors Andrew Bogut did it with the Warriors like you don't have to be a max level center but you have to be a certain quality and I believe that Walker Kessler can be that certain quality of center to get you there so I think that's valuable Keontae George appears to be a keeper at this point uh I think they like Taylor Hendricks actually quite a bit I think they're a little surprised with how much they like Taylor Hendricks if I'm being honest with you we know that he was ninth on their board, and he fell to nine, so they were just like, well, that's who we're going to take. But they would have taken uh, Bilal Koulibaly. They would have taken Jairus Walker over him. They would have taken all the guys who went in front of him, and he was just on the board, so they took him. And I think now they're realizing, like, oh, he's actually kind of what you hoped his high potential would be. Like, he can play a little bit on the perimeter, and he's still a good shot blocker, and he seems like a high-character kid so far. So I think that's a win for them there. And then, you know, Bryce Sensabaugh, I don't know. He's he's an NBA-level scorer already who doesn't play any defense. I don't know if that ever becomes a person. Uh, and then, yeah, Keontae is just not—or, excuse me, uh, Ochai is just not—he's not consistent enough right now. Yeah. And I, that's not saying I'm giving up on him. These guys are a second year in the NBA. Like, Dante Exum is only now becoming an NBA player. Yeah. He's like 27. <laughs> he got drafted eight years ago. So—and I'm not saying the Jazz will give Ochai eight years, but at his rookie scale— you see enough little flashes here and there that think, like, once he figures it out, maybe he can be a guy. But you don't have to give up on him. But he hasn't proven that he belongs right now. When it comes to, like, debating if he's a piece to keep, it's hard to say with role players. Because you role players are constantly getting shuffled mm-hmm. on every NBA team, especially contenders. But don't let Ochai's down year compared to his rookie year. He's averaging less points. Um, he's shooting a little bit better from the field, worse from three. He still is an impact player, and that's why he has remained in the rotation. Against the Heat, or sorry, not against the Heat. Against um, the Rockets. Against the Rockets. Yeah, he had like three huge blocks, back-to-back blocks on one possession. Like, he is a defensive playmaker more than he is an offensive playmaker. And, of course, you're hoping that the the offense comes around, specifically the three-point shot. But just because it's not here right now doesn't mean we have to kick him out the door. I do think that is the nice thing about Ochai is where some guys you are like, well, he has to add this and this and this before he's productive. Ochai just needs to hit threes at a 35 to 38% rate. And if he hits at 40, you're like, oh, man, he plays defense. He's not like an elite defensive player, but he is a defensive playmaker. Uh, Certainly is one of the better shot blockers on the Jazz. But he's a defensive playmaker where if you improve his three-point shot, which you know what I know he could do coming out of Kansas was shoot the heck out of the ball. If that comes back to him, all of a sudden you have a guy. So you're really only one change away, and it's a change that he has proven historically, where some guys you draft, and it's like, well, you're going to have to make sure Taylor Hendricks learns how to pass, and then if he can pass, he's got to also be able to dribble, and if he can dribble, then can he actually guard threes because he only ever guarded fives before? And if all that comes together, oh, my gosh, you've got this superstar. But it's like all of these gambles that you're making, and luckily, again, Taylor Hendricks is starting to show like all of those things a little bit, and you're like, holy cow, this guy could be something. Uh, Ochai... You're not betting on him becoming an all-star. 
you're betting on him being a 3 and D guy who shoots 38% and also plays defense. Yep. And he's really close. He does one pretty well, and he, he has shown the ability to do the other. Next up, another one from Jazz Time Jones. Are Kelly Olynyk and Jordan Clarkson jazz men on February 9th? I won't. I'll say not both of them. Okay. I, I do think... I do think there's a, a good chance the Jazz make a move, and yeah. those I think are the two most likely players. You know, and I think Kelly makes the most sense still. Uh, so many teams could use him. He's expiring. He's 32. Like the number of things that don't make sense for the Jazz going forward with Kelly are plentiful, but it's like I, I would say 51 percent. One of them is gone. 49 percent. They're both here. Like I really yeah. think it's pretty. Whereas some guys, I think, you know, in the past, you've known that the Jazz were going to move Malik Beasley. You knew the Jazz were going to move Jared Vanderbilt. You Jazz were likely to move Mike Conley. It just made too much sense. It's not like the Jazz have to make these moves this year, whereas last year I felt like they had to make the moves. They had already started losing a lot of games with them in the rotation. Jazz are winning games now with these guys in the rotation show. I'd say it's a little more likely that at least one of them's gone. I'd be pretty surprised if both of them were gone, though. Yeah. Uh, do you think whatever move they do, THC is going to get thrown into it? If not to that team, a different third team? Um, not necessarily. They don't have to be looped together. Yeah. They could be, though, yeah. so easily. The hard part about Jordan Clarkson, like, you can't move Jordan Clarkson and THT together because that's $35 million. True. How many $35 million guys are out there that are on the trade block? Yeah. Like, not many. So maybe THT goes elsewhere or gets bought out, but a hard time, I think, combining JC and THT. But you could put Kelly Olynyk and THT together and get up around 22 million. And all of a sudden that's a kind of interesting player actually. Yeah. Guys who make 22 million generally have shown something at some point in their career. Next up from James McKinney, what possible deal will be out there for Jordan Clarkson? I don't see why Ainge would make a trade that includes him, assuming all he'd get back is either a player of similar caliber or a first round pick. It wouldn't make sense to make a lateral move right now. Uh, I would, you know, the name that comes up a lot with Jordan Clarkson is the Knicks. Yes. Uh, there's been a lot of rumors there, including people who cover the Knicks have talked like outwardly on broadcasts about Jordan Clarkson being a target. And I would, just kind of on how these things work, my guess would be the Knicks are saying, like, it's Evan Fournier because you have to get that to make yes. the deal work financially. And either Quinton Grimes or a future first-round pick, whether and, and they, they're owed a bunch of picks by other teams. Like, I think Milwaukee owes them a pick. I think they still have some Dallas picks from the Chris Dapps-Porzingis trade, and they own all their own. So they've got a, a, a pretty healthy stash of draft capital. And I would almost guarantee you Danny Ainge and Justin Zanuck are like, no, it's both. It's Fournier to make the salaries work. By the way, he's got two years left on his deal, so we're doing you a favor because Jordan drops to $12 million bucks or $14 million bucks next year. You basically shed $10 million just by having Jordan Clarkson stay on your roster. Yep. You cut salary. So we want to take a first-round pick for taking Evan Fournier off your hands and saving you $10 million. And then we also want a good young player because you're getting a good player in back in Jordan Clarkson. So you've got to address two parts of this trade, which is we want a young player for the talent we're giving up, and we want to pick because of the salary space we're giving you. So I bet you they would be asking, and this is, I promise you, this is, this is uninformed, but just have, having seen how these things work in the past and how Danny Ainge and Justin Zanuck are pretty patient to get the right deal, it would be something like Fournier, Grimes, and a first for Jordan Clarkson, which is a lot to ask. I mean, I would think, in, in all honesty, that's better than what the, uh, the Charlotte Hornets got for Terry Rozier. And if that's the market, then the Jazz probably don't move him. Grimes is having debatably the worst year of his career right now. He's, he's taking a, a huge step back. Yeah, he's a third-year player. He's getting 10 less minutes per game. Mm -hmm. uh, granted, the Knicks are maybe trying to be a bit more competitive. They made moves uh, this year, and he's also shooting under 40% from the field, and he's shooting 37% from three, which is pretty good. Yeah, I, I don't 
in all honesty, like it wouldn't be weird if all of a sudden Fournier came in and fit in with the Jazz super well and Grimes wasn't in the rotation. Yep. Like if the Jazz want to make a playoff push, and they say, oh, we like a guy, and I don't even, what's Fournier shooting this year? Can you pull it up? Uh, yes, I mean, I traditionally he's been good, you know, and he's totally fallen out of rotation in New York, but Tibbs is notoriously one of the weirder guys with his rotations. Like he'll play starters 42 minutes a game. So there's not room for. 10 guys to play the way Will Hardy will play 10 guys. Jazz fans might make this trade thinking, oh, Quentin Grimes is this get, and secretly Danny Ainge, who, by the way, I think did acquire Evan Fournier in Boston and gave him some money at one point uh, if Fournier came in actually fit in a little bit better immediately than Grimes did. Yeah, Fournier has only played three games this year. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah, and he's shooting abysmal. 20% from the field, yeah. 13%. Well, I don't, I don't even care in three yeah, games. Yeah, it doesn't exactly. matter. Historically, he's a 44% uh, shooter from the floor and 38% yes. from three. Like okay, that's a good player historically. Definitely. And uh, yeah, he was he was acquired by Danny Ainge at one point. He was in a trade to the Boston Celtics when Danny Ainge was still running Boston. So Danny, I think, has liked him in the past. And if there's one thing I know about Danny Ainge, he kind of has crushes. Like my understanding is he liked Keontae George when Keontae George was in high school. He's talked about how he remembers watching Chris Dunn in college because it was in the Boston area. Like he sees guys, he targets guys, and then sticks with them. You know, Evan Fournier is only 31 years old. Yeah. Like, he's right in that Jordan Clarkson range. So you could potentially, if you were the Jazz, sell yourself on a off-the-ball, less overlap, clears a little bit more room for Keontae to dribble, clears a little bit more room for Colin Sexton to dribble, and then he's a more reliable three-point shooter because, yes, he only shot 30% last year in 27 games. Jordan Clarkson's really not a great three-point shooter. He shoots a lot of them, and he shoots them off the dribble, so it's unique, but he's only, like, 32 33% yeah. ever. He's not, like knock-down, dead-eye three-point shooter. I was about to say, when you have Chris Dunn, Colin Sexton, and Keontae George on your roster, having a catch-and-shoot three-point shooter as opposed to an off-the-dribble, fade-away type shooter, it's going to be more beneficial. It's fine. And and you know what? He's, he might be insurance next year if you were to lose Simone Fontecchio. Yep. If Fontecchio were to sign somewhere else. But you can the way Fontecchio has helped the Jazz, Fournier can help a little bit as well. Similar... Similar skill sets, not identical, but you know, yeah, those ability to space the floor, do a couple of things, shoot the ball. You can always use those guys. All right, uh, next up. Oh, and then by the way, let me say this: if you draft, if you acquire Fournier this year, he becomes an expiring next year with a big twenty million dollar expiring contract. And all of a sudden, if you let, like, let's say you let Kelly expire, or you were to package Kelly and THT, and you know, a first for, or to take Fournier back you've kind of prolonged your expiring contracts. Like maybe the deal doesn't come up this year where that expiring contract has a ton of value, but next year you still have another expiring. And I think Danny Ainge and Justin Zanuck are always going to want to have a couple of draft picks to play with, a couple of expiring contracts to play with, a couple of young players to, to play with, because that's how you build these mega packages to to tinker with your team and, and change your roster. And that's how you keep those assets alive. And as opposed to just letting them dissolve and expire, and then you don't have anything to show for them. All right, from Ciprez, um, how do you like ownership, and do you have any insight? Uh, I've been able to talk with Ryan Smith a few times. He's always been very generous with his time. Now, you got to understand it's such a change from Gail Miller, who was not around. She was at the games, but it's not like Gail Miller was out talking to the beat writers and yeah. stuff like that. Like She wasn't jumping on the hands and Scotty like, like Ryan does a couple of times a year, jumps on DJ and PK a few times a year. So they're totally different styles. I think Ryan's been really more patient than jazz fans realize like again watch what's happening in in phoenix and again they've won six in a row maybe matt ishbia's bet is gonna work out yeah but like 
one of the skills of owners, I actually think, is having a stomach for losing. Because sometimes you have to have a pain threshold to get to the the real heights. These guys that come in right away and are like, I, I'm a winner in my life. I've, I'm a billionaire. I own a business. I've done everything well. Like, I'm cool. So I'm going to win everything all the time, and there's no pain there. Like, I've, I've done my suffering building my business and turning it into a billion-dollar unicorn, and now I'm, I'm a winner. It's like, that doesn't work. Yeah. It doesn't work in basketball. Not They're not playing by your rules. They don't care if you've won before. They've, these guys have all won too. Yeah. These guys have all been the best players in basketball their entire life and are giving it up to be on a team. And then the coaches are the same way. And the, the GMs are the same way. And the execs are the same way. So it's a really flawed ownership style, and we see it a lot. So I like that Ryan Smith has come in and been like, I will be patient with this team, and I will say this. I think he's more patient than even Jazz fans realize. Where I bet you Jazz fans are excited to see him. Like, he's high-fiving guys next to the floor. He's excited when they're winning games. And if Danny Ainge and Justin Zanuck came up to him and said, this is the year to take a step back and suffer more and hurt more, I bet you he'd be on board. Because I think he listens to those guys. I think he really trusts them. And I'm not speaking for him. That's just kind of my educated guess based on what he's done since he bought the team. Now, when he was in the process of buying the team, Chandler— he extended Jordan, Donovan, Rudy, Mike. All these guys got deals, and you're like, the gang's back together. They're <laughs> going to keep it together. And then when he realized it wasn't working, he ripped the Band-Aids off everybody so far except for Jordan Clarkson. Yep. Like, suffered real pain trading all of those guys last summer. I bet you that was an insane thing to do as an owner, and he had to really question, like, am I doing this? Like, we have a good team. We have a playoff team that gets nationally televised games and has stars and has the all-star game coming. And they're going to be the face of the All-Star game. And, you know, it worked out because Lowry ended up doing that, but no one thought Lowry was going to make the All-Star game. No. No one thought Lowry was going to be the best player in that trade for the Jazz. So I would be willing to bet, because he's talked about pain tolerance before, that his pain tolerance is higher than Jazz fans realize. And just always accept that if you're a Jazz fan. Always realize that at some moment, the carpet could get pulled out and it could hurt for a little while. But I think he does it with the belief that, hey, I want to win games in the field. I want to win at the highest level. He's not Jerry Reinsdorf, who owns the Bulls and owns the White Sox, and is just a bad owner. And yeah. it's just like, well, can we go cheaper? How do we go cheaper? Like, I'm going to make money regardless because the values of the teams continue to rise. How do we have a cheaper, or it's what the Oakland Athletics did. Like, how do we get lower salary? I don't think that's what Ryan Smith is doing. So in that sense, I'm I'm interested in his model versus what, Gail Miller did and carried over from Larry H. Miller, which was always stay above sea level, like always be a little bit above average and hope that at some point that's high enough to win a title or you spike one year versus I think there's a kind of a more aggressive approach here from Ryan Smith and, and this current Jazz front office, which is going to have higher highs but potentially lower lows. Even though it kind of sucks, I would say that the best trait that a small market ownership can have is patience. Absolutely. Yeah, it stinks. Being rebuilding's not fun. Being patient's not fun. But you know who is painfully patient is Danny Ainge. Yeah. Danny Ainge is so patient because he's been doing this for forty years. Like again, he played with the Celtics in the in the eighties. Like <laughs> this is not his first rodeo. He knows. Like he's seen teams have a good month where they go fifteen and four. He's played for teams that went fifteen and four. He might have been on that Celtics team that lost one home game all season. Like I think he probably was on that team. He's seen highs and lows. Yep. He saw the Warriors win seventy three games 
outdo the Jordan Bulls and then run out of gas and lose in the finals. Like he's seen it all, so he's not going to get excited about fifteen and four. And I would imagine Ryan Smith trusts Danny Ainge enough and will buy into that and talks to him every day to recognize like why is that a good strategy? Why do we believe that? So I. I guess in that sense, I would say I'm intrigued by it, and I would have a little faith if I was a basketball fan. All right, last question here from Hobo J. Uh, do you believe that the Jazz would avoid a move that they perceive to be an upgrade if it impacted the cap space situation enough to interfere with marketing extension talks in August? I don't see that happening. Okay. In all honesty, I just don't see the scenario where that's the case. Like, yeah. Jazz are going to have Lowry's bird rights because the form of his contract, the extension numbers you can put him at— Jazz will give Lowry every penny they can, and I think Lowry will take every penny he can. And you know what? Lowry might even be a candidate to take a little bit less. I don't think so. You know, and he doesn't need to take less money. He always expected to be a max player from, you know, when he came over and played at Arizona. He probably always thought he was going to make a ton of money. But he also may be the guy who's not like, no, I have to be Damian Lillard rich or I'm not going to be happy. Yeah. He might not be that person. Yeah. Um, and that doesn't mean I think he's going to give the Jazz some crazy discount. But remember, Rudy Gobert didn't always actually sign for the max either. Like, he always took a little bit less. I I, I could see that happening with, with Lowry, just taking a little bit less, getting the deal done, feeling safe to have his future wrapped up, and recognizing, like, the difference between $190 million and $180 million is not that much. No. Or 210 versus 203 is not that much. Yeah. So if he signs early and maybe even gives up a little bit of money to do it, uh, that would be the case. I, I could see it happening. But I don't see a move the Jazz could make that would put them in a situation where they couldn't re-sign Lowry Markkinen. Thank you guys for tuning into the Jazz Notes podcast. we got a busy four-game week ahead of us. Uh, we're coming up on the 50-game mark and also the All-Star break. Yep, we will be back with you again next Tuesday reviewing this week's games, and we'll be another week closer to the trade deadline. A lot could happen uh, in the next couple of weeks. So we appreciate everyone who tunes in. You can always send in your questions, too. You don't just have to wait for the prompt that I send out. If you want to DM me, my DMs are always open. Uh, or you can reply to this question that I did send out. Again, find me on Ben's Hoops or Chandler at Chandler Holt KSL. You can ask them throughout the week, and we'll either address them next week or in the article that I write uh, every week answering your Q&A. So appreciate you uh, following us, and we'll catch you again next Tuesday.